0: You're listening to The Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast, keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to The Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. My guest this week is Anne Ravanona. CEO and founder of Global Investor, a global community and platform that helps women entrepreneurs get investment ready. Speaker, writer, her generosity of time and wisdom when I was at one of the lowest points in my career helped pick me up and move me
1: forward again. So welcome Anne, it's lovely to have you here. Thank you, Vicky, and it's an honor to be here. You're an awesome lady and I love what you're doing.
0: (laughs) So funding and investment is your thing. So I've got two questions this week that relate to that. The first person asked, and they literally did just write this to start with, debt or equity? Having dug into it a little bit more, they explained, I've bootstrapped for over two years now, but the stark reality is in order to grow, I need to get some cash in. I've got good credit. But we really haven't made enough by way of turnover or profit. And so I'm now shifting the business focus and I need some capital to make this happen. An investor may well bring some extra motivation and skills to the table, but debt might be easier to get. So the second person is also thinking about funding. He and his wife are at the early stages of a startup. They've been self-funding and now they're getting some friends and family loans What advice can we bring to bridging the finance gap between this money running out and the business becoming self-sufficient? They worry that the type of finance chosen now for very valid short-term reasons could limit what the company actually becomes. So, Anne, I suspect this is very familiar territory for you.
1: Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about yourself and the amazing mission that you are on. Sure, with great pleasure. And yes, all these questions are valid and great questions. So I'm um, the founder of Global Invest Her. And as you said, Vicky, you know, our mission is actually to help close the funding gap. That funding gap for women entrepreneurs to raise money is currently estimated to be 300 billion dollars. When I learned that statistic from uh, IFC World Bank a few years ago, it made me really mad. And I decided that I wanted to do something about it. I have two children, Vicky, um, a a 16-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. And the hard truth is, if both of them went looking for funding today, my son would be 70% more likely to get funded just because of his gender. And I want to change that. So, what I did was, um, I set up Global Invest Her to kind of create a safe space for women entrepreneurs to learn about funding so we can come together, demystify this whole process, like figure it out, say, okay, it is a game, there are players there's a process, there's a prize, you know, we've got to learn this stuff and then get use it to get back to building our business. And we do that through online webinars. We do it through our Invest Her meetups. We have a great mentoring program and a fantastic tool, which is called the Roadmap to Funding, which allows you to kind of hear from funded women about how they raise their money. And then we also have um, exclusive interviews with investors about what they look for before investing. So, You know, you don't have to figure out this stuff. Loads of people have done it before. Both the questions
0: that have been asked today are from businesses on what I would probably describe as the very small side Mm. when it comes to VC or equity funding. The second business mentioned that their UK market opportunity was 25 million. I went back to the first business just to find out a little bit more about them. And they're an agency type business. So they're not your traditional VC equity backed business. And for anybody that's kind of wondering, what does that normally look like? You are looking at huge market size opportunities to be attractive to your typical, what you might think of as a VC investor. Um, But presumably, that VC friendly unicorn potential type business is a tiny, tiny fraction of both, you know, women, men and couple led businesses, as we've got here. What options are out there for All of the other kind of plant businesses on the planet that don't fit the VC model, but are still looking to grow their businesses.
1: And where do you start? So if you're not in a a big market that's worth over 100 million to several billion, then there are other options open to you. So for your first question, so that person was asking about debt or equity. And I would say to you, look at both there's a few different things in that in the menu of sources of funding that you can look at. So if we look under the, the debt angle for a second, a reader says, you know, they've bootstrapped for two years and they have good credit. So I would say if you've got good credit, they say they don't have super high turnover. But if you've got good credit, you could be eligible for a bank loan. And I would say, first of all, don't be thinking debt or equity. In fact, when you're thinking about funding your business, you should be thinking of both. OK, so don't kind of close yourself off to other options. So if you're thinking of debt, yes, bank could be a great option to keep you going for a while for, for cash flow. If you have good credit, that's great. And If you have a couple of big clients and you have a good credit score, why wouldn't you avail of it? It's a tool to help you keep going uh, until you get those revenues up. So I would definitely be looking at the banks. Be careful to negotiate your terms. You know, the bad news is, ladies, unfortunately, a lot of banks do give us highest interest rate, higher interest rates. They don't say it, but they do. So just be really smart when you're negotiating the terms. Do your homework and pitch a couple of banks against each other. So I would check out bank loans. I'd say the other thing in the early stages, a lot of uh, businesses some of them started off on credit card debt now i'm not suggesting you do that long term but if you need to use your credit card for a short term yet yeah, do it so i've done that with this business um i've actually taken out two credit cards i've got balance transfer
0: Six months or eighteen months interest free, and it's basically just letting me run ahead of my invoices coming in. So you know, it's it's not completely risky. I've I've got invoices out there, but it's allowed me to get VAT registered, get my company registered up, start getting all my expenses into my company banking, and know that I can actually keep the cash flow going just for a couple of months. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend that as a long term thing, but as a little cash flow opening up trick credit cards and also that registration uh, in the uk anyway which is sales tax even if you're not at the level where you have to pay sales tax if you are actually incurring cost and you register for vat straight away you can claim back The VAT on everything you spend and that becomes quarterly cash flow. That has saved me so many
1: times. Yes. And and we have that in France as well. And that's a really good tip. You know, use it as a buffer, use it just to keep you going until you have the money coming in from those invoices. Talking about that, another thing that people forget about is invoice financing. So that's where you may have some good invoices from maybe well known companies or, you know, good asset size SMEs and a sizable invoice where your bank or another institution will actually give you the money up front so it's a firm invoice you have a, you've done the work and it's sure that you're going to get the money but the payment terms could be 30 to 60 days or 90 days depending because some of those big multinationals take a bloody long time to pay us either your bank or an invoice uh, financing institution can give you the money up front for your cash flow but they take a chunk they take a big chunk sometimes they take 25 percent of the amount so it it has its cost And it's a tool. Again, it's something to think about if you're stuck in the short term, but you have invoices out there. Why not use it? You know it's only a buffer. So those would be some of the things on the debt side that I would uh, recommend, Vicky. On the equity side, okay, people always think VC. But before you think of VC, venture capital, those guys come in, they're professional investors, and they come in with the big checks when they want to get big returns. So at a smaller stage, we're not talking about that. And you've got to get clear because, you know, I think a lot of first-time founders, they think, they hear all these buzzwords and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get VC money, but they don't really know what it means. VCs come in with checks of like, A minimum of 500,000 to several million. So if you're not in that league, you know, just forget it. And you shouldn't be talking to them. You know, it's a waste of your time and theirs. And they'll have a conversation with you
0: and they'll say, we'd like to see more traction or you're not ready for us yet. And that's all insanely time consuming. You very, very rarely get a firm, useful no. Nobody wants to miss your deal. They'll talk to you. They'll keep seeing how you're getting on because nobody wants to miss out but all of that stuff uses your time up incredibly. I think there's a code for no that you need to learn, which is like we'd like to see more traction, <laughs> or you know, which we, we, kind of, is like
1: actually just, no. That, that means they're going to move the goalposts every time you see them. It's really a dirty word for retraction sometimes because yeah. you know it can mean anything to anybody. So when you get that kind of feedback just drill them down, okay, exactly what kind of traction and within what time frame. But I mean, we're we're diverging because again, that's if we're talking about VC size business. Now, if you're not that type of business, what exists there that's equity-based? So there's a couple of options. Number one, I would... Consider having a look at some of the accelerators out there. Now, there are some accelerator programs that could be really useful to you where they do offer you good mentors. They are um, sector specific. So there are programs where you usually um, are part of it for three months. Um, They give you mentors as a pitch day where you pitch to investors at the end of it. The thing is that a, a lot, if not most of those accelerator programs will give you money for equity and they usually take between 5 to 7% which is a lot when you're early stage but it might be useful to you so some of them may give you 50,000 pounds or more so check them out it is another source of equity it's yeah. it's something to think about and people don't always think about them that way but it is but you really need like with all investors vicky I would really encourage your listeners to do their homework. You've got to check if you decide to go to an accelerator. It's very time consuming. Uh, it's great. They're going to push you through their model, but you've got to make sure that that model is going to suit you, your business and the stage you're at. And that's not going Definitely. to pull you too fast because sometimes they squeeze you through these boxes and you're not ready
0: for it. And it's their shaped boxes. So I was really surprised because I started out in an incubator, which is like the super early stage. You know, it's earlier than an accelerator. An incubator really doesn't tend to put money in or take equity, it, it's, it's kind of like a guided nurturing space. But I was very surprised. I went back to that incubator five years later, partly as a mentor and partly to kind of like just get back in the zone. And I was surprised how many startups were coming into that with a big plan of like, I'm going to go into this accelerator and I'm going to try to get into this accelerator. It's like, well, Nick, hang on. The path here is not about which accelerator you get into. It's about building the right business. And I've, I was really surprised, you know, the difference between five years ago when I was starting up last time and this time is that there, I think perhaps when I was starting up last time, the the whole thing was I'm going to win this pitch competition, I'm going to win that pitch competition, and, and now it's like I'm going to get into this accelerator. Yeah. And I think that I personally agree there are some really useful ones but they're not necessarily the famous ones that you've heard of. There's a really good one in um, Edinburgh right now, which is for people that have got established businesses that want to work with the public sector. And it's called CivTech. I interviewed uh, Joe Tree, who's working there right now. And that's a really interesting one because you take on a public sector project, you build a piece of tech with them, and then they work with you to get that sold into other public sector organisations. And I think that's an example of a really interesting accelerator that fits a very specific type of business now not necessarily the two that we're talking about here Mm. but I you know I've come across ones that are more agency friendly and that might suit the first business but I I do think you really really do need to do your homework because an accelerator is a full-on echo chamber like it's real deep immersion But it can be useful if you're being immersed into the right environment for where your business needs to go. And definitely the benefits of that are you're starting to meet the right mentors, the right clients, possible investors, and also possible collaborators. I've seen some wonderful examples where two businesses within an accelerator have gotten together and created something much bigger and much more successful and de-risked compared to what they would
1: have done on their own. Exactly. And I think when when we're talking like when Vicky and I are talking about doing your homework, what I would really suggest is, you know, obviously research the ones that are relevant to your sector, or your stage, as we said, and talk to past alumni, talk to them what it was like. So somebody who's just come out of it, some who came out a year ago. What was the impact on their business? What was the stage? Um, Talk to some of the mentors. You've got to have a feel because some accelerator programs, they say we've got super brilliant mentors, but they're not really good. So you, you really do need to do your homework. So yeah. accelerator is is a source of equity funding that you can look into. Another one is equity crowdfunding. Now a lot of us know crowdfunding for a reward base where you have a product or a service and you you know sell future versions of that product or service upfront and it, you use that money to make the the product and that's really useful. Um, investors love crowdfunding campaigns because they actually prove there's a market demand and they're very good as a marketing communication tool as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Crowdfunding,
0: if you've got a product, especially creative product, you're trying to make a film or you're trying to build something, crowdfunding, reward-based crowdfunding is a fantastic way to go because you build your
1: customer base at the same time as you build your product, which is just it's phenomenal. Fantastic. And with both reward-based and equity-based, so you can actually do a crowdfunding campaign where you give a percentage of equity. And the best one in the UK by far, and the, the founders of equity crowdfunding, is Crowdcube. Now, they set it up about six years ago, and they have they have now um, several hundred businesses that have raised big, chunks of money. I know one one very successful entrepreneur in the UK. She's an Irish entrepreneur based in the UK. Her company is called Sugru. And she raised two different equity crowdfunding campaigns, one of 2 million and one of 3 million. So you can raise significant money on equity crowdfunding. Now, what you need to know about equity crowdfunding and, and any crowdfunding campaign, but we're talking about equity here, You need to prepare that campaign at least three months in advance. It is not something that you do on the side, at the weekends. You need to be prepping it for at least three months before. And you need to have raised at least 30 to 50% of the money, i.e. people have said they're going to give you the money before the campaign goes live. And those are really important tips. A lot of people don't know that. And we have a series of, um, of bundles of content coming out soon um, to help your listeners uh, to learn all about how to do really successful crowdfunding campaigns, what to do before, during, after a crowdfunding campaign. And equity crowdfunding is a really good tool. So do check it out. So Crowdcube is one. They mm-hmm. have competitors, but I just know that they're the best. Yep. You make a really good point, though, about the planning. And I think when your back
0: is against a wall, your choices of how to raise money or how to fund your business when your back is against the wall and you've run out of time is insanely limited. Mm. I mean, I, I've been in that position and really and truly there was only about two or three options open to me. It's the one time that I took a bank loan, which was 20, I think I can't remember, its 20 or 30K. Mm. Um, and I actually already, you know, I'd won a grant, there was funding coming in. I, I was in a really strong position and we used that bank loan to bridge a cash flow crisis other times I did kind of like clever micromanagement of payments in and payments out and paying something a day or too late pushing for something else to be paid early and so I feel for the person who's saying we've done a bit of friends and family and how do we now bridge that gap because it depends how close the gap is if there is just no cash in the business and you are needing to still function on investment in any way is almost the worst place that you can divert your attention. In my view, if you're in that really, really difficult position, you have got to think about, is there anything at all I can sell? Is there anything I can get paid for? Is there anything, any kind of deal I can do with a customer that gets money in now and lets me build it? Or is there any kind of deal I can do with Friends and family, or friendly angel, somebody who knows me that will get money in now, and that could be. I mean, I you probably know this, Anna. I actually like convertible loans. Mm. Convertible loans are money now to make a crisis go away that converts into equity later on down the line. Maybe when you're planning your angel round, but I do think that planning is important. Investment is truly a full-time job. It consumes all of your waking and all of your sleeping thoughts, and your business pretty much stops when you're doing it. So you kind of do have to plan ahead. And if you're in a desperate situation where you can't plan ahead, then forget about pitch decks and one pages and all of this kind of stuff and just focus on getting some money in somehow on the on the most likely place to deliver it, even if that does compromise your future choices, in my view, although if you structure it right, and you think
1: about a little bit, it shouldn't. Thinking about that, that's a really good point, Vicky. And I think one of the points that your your reader said is like, they're worried, okay, if I have my back against the wall or if I choose a a source of finance now, how will that kind of impact my options later on? That's a fair point. I think at the same time, investors want to see A resilient entrepreneur, an entrepreneur that can face challenges head on and find solutions. So if you have a cash flow situation, do, I totally agree with you, double down on clients, double down on selling, and just focus on getting in what money you can. And then you can figure out how you can pitch that and show that to people afterwards. So I do think it's like the main focus is to try and keep the business alive. I do think that the other things to look at, if you have more time, and if if you are good at pitching do not underestimate pitch competitions there are quite a lot of pitch competitions oh, yeah. that give you money we ran you. we won 50k in our first 12 months we won 50k free money from competitions. So everybody in my company had to pitch. My 21-year-old intern was out pitching. You know, We all did it. Exactly. And I think it's an underestimated source of funding. I know there's one a woman entrepreneur in Haiti and her name is Christine Soufran. She's phenomenal. She raised $200,000 just by winning pitch competitions. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And, like yeah. you know, I'll be getting her. She's going to be doing a, a podcast with me in a few months just to say, how did you do that, Christine? How did you become a pitch machine? <laughs> Tell us, you know. But it's like you can do it. If you're good at pitching, if you're good at doing this stuff, seek out the pitch competitions where there are cash prizes and they give you good visibility. So that's one way. And the other free money, which is kind of half free money, of course, is grants. Oh, grants, yes. The, you know 11. that grants. Yeah, grants <laughs> are brilliant, but they take a long time to fill in the paper, don't they, Vicky? I mean, you've been through that a few rounds. They you? do. I <laughs> we mean, knew you really
0: though, didn't you, from grants? It was great. Oh, loads. I mean, like I mean, maybe a million and a half. I mean, not obviously at my first attempt, but my first attempt, we got in our first year, we got a hundred k R and D grant. Now we were in the position of doing tech, so we were doing tech, we were doing innovation. There was every chance of pants, all that kind of out of the end of the work we did. So that does definitely make you more attractive as grants. But even if you're not in that space, there's often salary support. I um, mean, in Scotland, you have, obviously, Scottish Enterprise and Scottish Investment Bank, but in London, you've got Co-Investment Fund, all sorts of often regional development funds, mostly EU money, or a lot of it EU money. So where that will go in the future is is hard to say, but uh, certainly from a UK perspective. But, you know, your councils and your economic development agencies are often incredibly supportive if you can navigate your way into them. Again, it doesn't happen quick. This is not going to be your saviour if you've got two weeks cash left in the business that's not going to save you then. But if you're planning ahead, and particularly you're planning on how to use money together. I mean, we used a bank loan combined with a grant um, and that kept us going probably for nine months.
1: Exactly. And so that's why it's important because look, all the sources we've talked about so far, we've talked about bank loans, credit cards, we've talked about grants, we've talked about reward-based crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding. We've talked about invoice financing. We've talked about VAT claims. We've talked about accelerators. We've talked about pitch competitions. Did you know all of that was out there? There's a whole plethora of stuff that works. And the things that we've mentioned are all sources of funding that have worked. So I'm only sharing what I know has definitely worked. Um, And then, of course, let's not forget those famous angels you may have (laughs) in your network and, you know, you may have a rich uncle or auntie, okay, in the friends and family. But you may have people you've worked for or with in the past who really believe in you and believe in what you're doing. Don't underestimate that. You'd be so surprised if you actually say, hey. I'm actually opening up for some uh, for some funding. This is my vision, this is where I wanna go. Do you believe in me, do you wanna back me? Because angels back the entrepreneur. When we're talking about angel early stage, they back you, so don't underestimate the power of your network. So Vicky, tell us a bit about you because you did that very effectively. <laughs> I had a false start,
0: so I kind of went quite a long way down a path with some benevolent angels and then I backed out of that. And the reasons why I backed out of that are all good reasons which I think you should think about if you are taking angel money, which is like be very clear what we're talking you're talking about. How much? When is it gonna come? What are their expectations with that money? Are they expecting to be on the board? How involved are they expecting to be? What do they want from that? And actually, even if it's somebody that you know extremely well, even if it's somebody that you don't know before, very early on, get a working heads of agreement in writing that you both – understand and you both believe you're talking about the same thing both in terms of the amount of money what that translates into what it's to be used for how you're going to work together what their expectations of you are and what you your expectations of them are now that might just be side and a half two sides of a four but really early on in the process get that down because otherwise what's going to go on is you feel super uncomfortable because you're taking their money you don't want to push them on timings you don't want to push them on like exactly how much are we talking about and if you don't do that the goalposts move and suddenly you're both having a conversation about very different things and I wasted a months and months of my time as a CEO that I couldn't afford because we hadn't all been super transparent with each other and super precise so when I went into my next angel round and and all the money I raised for the all the equity money I ever raised in my last business was from angels some of whom followed on through three rounds with me I always then went into that with a very clear heads of terms you know this is what the offer is this is the type of shares this is how much money I'm looking for this is what you get for that uh, this is what you know there is no board seat available just really clear and that made it so much easier for both sides and it also made it easier for them for us to get match funding in our case from Scottish Investment Bank but um, London Co-Investment Angel Co-Investment Fund works in a similar way because we were dealing with it professionally and you know you can take money from friends and you can take money from family although personally I would much prefer not to but once you're getting into dealing with angels both be firm and respectful with each other and be clear and the angel needs to understand that the one thing that the entrepreneur does not have is time and the entrepreneur needs to understand it's their responsibility to make this specific and unambiguous and you do need to spend even if it's only a few hundred or you know small number of thousands of pounds you do need to spend money on your legals to get this right because you do not want to accidentally give away a ridiculous amount of your company you do not want accidentally want to commit to something where your angel is following on at a fixed percentage forevermore because you set up the deal wrong um, and nor do you want to give away essentially unnecessary board seats and unnecessary power that you didn't understand you were giving up um so it's really important that you do do it Properly. You don't need to spend a ton of money on it. There's a lot of resources already out there. But definitely, once you are taking money from another person, have an agreement firmly in place of what both parts expectations are.
1: Absolutely. And you say it so eloquently from the heart. We hear the T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and what you're saying, I mean, to summarise, it's really, really important. It's all about managing expectations managing expectations from the get-go and realizing that when you take angel money, it is that person's personal money. It's money they have earned or, you know, they've sold a business and they've had a return. So it's their personal money, which means that they do, angels tend to want to get very involved and that's where, as as Vicky very rightly says, you've got to kind of feel them out. Make sure that you're going to get on well with them. You don't have to love them, but you do have to make sure that you can have frank, open, transparent conversations. Which is exactly what Vicky is saying. And it's it's very important to to be able to say to them when things are going well, when things are not going well, and to ask for their help. But also, it's like well, when I'm saying managing expectations it, you want to make sure that they're not ringing you every week asking for an update I mean you just don't have the time <laughs> to be updating them every week you know and some <laughs> angels if it's their if it's their first angel investment they get super excited it's fun for them yeah, and you're yeah.
0: giving them a second I, I I did have an angel kind of going back to my board to complaining I wasn't getting back to him fast enough you know I hadn't gotten back to him in a day or two but I had 35 angel investors and a company to run. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's probably experience as, as, as much as anything else. But yeah, uh, okay. yeah I, and I think that's the one thing. Coming back to the second person's question, which was how do I make sure what I do now doesn't affect my chances of growth in the future? I think the biggest thing that you can do now that screws up your chances of growth in the future is give equity away imprecisely so either yeah. by giving a co-founder or an employee or a random person a chunk of your share cap table which is your pie your equity and when as soon as you take investment you're no longer building a business you're building a pie and your job is to make the pie bigger and bigger and bigger and what your job is to sell and protect slices of the pie so the one thing you don't want to be doing is giving chunks of your pie away that's pretty much the only, the biggest thing that you can do that will jeopardize your chances of raising any form of money in the future is have unclear ownership of shares or having given something away with no cash coming in that basically means that you no longer own all of the pie. So therefore. The deal is no longer yours to control. So that's why it's so important when you do start, you know, selling pieces of the pie that the legal framework is around it. Otherwise, you are jeopardizing your future chances. And
1: you have, Yeah, absolutely. Vicky, you need to talk to two other entrepreneurs who've been there. Right. Who've, who've raised the angel monies and, you know, talk to the lawyers, make sure you get different points of view as to how much you should be giving up. The general rule of thumb is like you want to be giving up maximum 20 to 30 percent each round, you know, because at the end, like if you think you're going to be doing a seed round, so that's round one. You might do a pre-seed, but let's say you seed round you're giving up 20%. And if you do series A, you're giving up another 20 to 30%. That's 50% of the business gone. And if you want to do a series B, that's another 20%. Boom, you've got 30% left or less. If you go down that long tunnel, most venture capitalists, now that's again, if you're thinking long term, want to build a big multi-million dollar or multi-million pound business, you know, most VCs, they will want you to still have quite a chunk of the business left at the end. So you've got to be very careful. And what we see a lot of founders doing, Vicky, and I think it's super important just to say, there's two scenarios. Either one, they do too many rounds of funding. So they go for, they raise too little money um, and then they have to go out and raise it again. And they've given up too much equity at each time. So they'll go and get a 100,000 or 150,000 instead of raising 500,000 when they should have the first time or a million. Mm -hmm. They go and they raise... 250,000, then they have to go and and raise more and they give up more and more equity each time. So that's one scenario. And the other one is, those who are too scared to give up any equity. So they, they just don't, they, they want to keep all the control and then they never grow their business.
0: So Anne, I actually have another episode that I'm hoping to record with you yes. um, where we tackle that exact question. So we're out of time on this one. Uh, you've been listening to Vicky Brock and Anne Ravenona this week's Entrepreneur Agony Aunt's, And you can submit your question at vickybrock.com slash podcast.